Well, good morning. Hope you all are doing well. Hope you had a good week and uh, enjoying this wonderful fall weather. I love this time of year. I love having the window opens at night and just freezing to death and having to curl up in a blanket tighter and cocoon yourself. And um, But uh, that's just me. Uh, I, I really like fall. But uh, we're not here to talk about me or what season I prefer. So um, I, I like to begin with a group activity. Um, if you're visiting here, my name is Pastor Mike. Every now and then when we just started, we... Uh, We'll do some group activities where we'll, we'll talk with one another so it's not just one person talking the whole time. And so here's the activity. I am a blank, and you're not telling me what I am, I, what you are. And so what is one activity which captures that? And here's, I want to eliminate a few things because I know we're in church and uh, some of us grew up in Sunday school, so we know the answers you normally give. So um, I know most of us, many of us can say we are a Christian. We are a follower of Christ. We're a believer. Um, but I want to take those off the tape. Uh, I want to know something about you, a title, a position, uh, something you do, and what is something you do that makes you that. So like, for example, I am a father. I'll take that one. I'll take the easy one. And what makes me a father is I have children which I uh, love and teach and discipline. So, all right, your turn. You are a wife. Which, and, and what's an activity that you do that makes you a wife? All right. Very good. See, it's not hard. All right. Who's up? Who's next? Grandpa. You're a grandpa. He take your answer? Yeah, and you got to think of something new now. <laughs> and what, what's an activity you do as a grandpa? <laughs> Is that what you're going to say? Play all day with your grandson. Get your exercise. You're a, a what? Oh, <laughs> you're a yaya. Okay. <laughs> and something you do as a yaya is you yell yaya. One more. Who else? I am a. I heard something. Yes, Danny. You're a student, and what makes you a student? You go to school. You, you attend. So hopefully you do something while you're there, but we'll at least call you a student. Um, well, um, we, we've been going through Matthew chapter 5. We've been walking through the Beatitudes. We've been seeing how Jesus has defined a blessed life. And this morning, we turn to a passage of Scripture where Jesus defines what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be a follower of His. And so in our passage, there are two metaphors to which Jesus uses to define what a believer is. And in these two metaphors, it states about who we are identified and how Christ identifies us. But Jesus also delivers a warning with one of these uh, identifiers, and then he gives us an illustration for another. This morning, we're only going to deal with one of them, and you can um, just... You can thank me later. This was originally all going to be one sermon, but as I got to Tuesday, I realized that God was making me separate it into two sermons. So we're going to be looking at salt this morning, but we're going to read from verse 13 through 16, and we'll pick up light next week. So the word of the Lord says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all, all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and humbly submit to your authority and your will. You are holy, you are righteous, you are all wise. And Lord, I, I praise you and I thank you and we thank you that you know everything about us. There's nothing hidden in our life from you. And you love us. You know our struggles, you know our battles, you know our victories and the things we're rejoicing about. And Father, you invite us into your presence simply because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, your Son, as our Savior. And you allow us to come into your throne room of grace, something we do not deserve, but is an incredible blessing and gift. We come before you with your word open. We want to hear your voice. So let your spirit speak to all of our hearts. Meet us where we are and take us to where we need to be before we conclude here this morning. I pray that your will be done and your kingdom would come in each and every life. We pray for forgiveness, Lord, if we have not worshipped you in spirit and truth, if we have not been faithful to what you've called us to do. Let your word become living and active in this moment, so push me aside. Just use me as your instrument of righteousness. And we thank you for what's going to happen here this morning. And pray us all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to just spend our time looking at verse 13. We're going to kind of take this apart. Jesus calls us something. He gives us a warning about something. And then it also lets us know how God views us. Um, but to start off, I want us to see something that Jesus says in verse 13 and 14 right off the bat. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And we're going to look at salt. I've already mentioned that. We'll spend time with light next week. But notice that it says in both 13 and 14, you are. It's important because Jesus is declaring our identity in him. These are emphatic statements. And to understand what that means, we can see what Jesus does not say in this moment. Jesus does not say you might be the salt and the light. He does not look at you and me and identify us as someone who has potential to be something great. See, we have no potential when it comes to God. God saw us as sinners, as enemies of his, as people who deserved hell. There was no potential for righteousness. There was no potential for holiness. And so God does not look at you and me and say, you might be. He says, you are. Jesus also does not say you will become the salt and the light. Meaning it hasn't happened yet, but if you put a little effort into it, you can get there. He also does not say, I will make you salt and light. That's when he called his first disciples and said, I will make you fishers of men. He's not telling us that this is something that's going to take a commitment or, or some discipleship and some training and some time. But, you know, we'll get there. We become the salt and light when we accept Jesus Christ, meaning our identity is immediately changed. It doesn't require further Bible study to be the salt and light. It doesn't require us to go to a Christian university and get a degree there. It doesn't require a seminary uh, doctorate or master's. It doesn't require you to go to a small group. Jesus does not say, you will become or I will make you. He is telling us right now, you are the salt and the light of the earth. He also does not say in this moment, I command you 
to be the salt and light of the earth. This is not a mandate that Jesus is delivering down. When God commands us in Scripture to do something, it's really because we naturally won't want to do it. And so we submit to that, and we pursue that, and we want to be obedient. Jesus is not commanding us to be the salt and light. He says, this is who you are right now. You are salt, and you are light. This is who you are to be. In the audience in chapter 5, Jesus is speaking up on a hillside. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to Jewish individuals. These individuals have begun to follow Jesus, but we have to keep in mind they don't fully understand who he is in this moment. They don't fully understand what he's going to do for them. They don't fully understand the sacrifice that he is going to make. And even in that midst of not fully understanding Jesus, which some of us may be here this morning in that way, Jesus looks at us and says, look, you are, as a believer, as a follower of mine, as a Christian, you are the salt of of the earth. You are the light of the world. That is your identity now. There's no debating this. There's no arguing it. And so to understand this identity of being salt, that's what we're going to just spend our time with. And what do we use salt for? Season stuff. I, I use that. That's the majority of the way I use salt is cooking, flavoring, preserve. Okay. I don't use it that way, but I've heard of it used that way. I throw it on slick stuff, right? Melt the ice. At one time in my life, I've put uh, salt in water and gurgled it to try to get rid of a sore throat. I don't remember if it actually worked or not, but I remember doing it once, and it was disgusting. Jesus looks at this crowd, and he, he looks at us now, and he said, look, you are the salt. And so help us understand our identity as salt. We need to understand how people in Jesus' day would have understood it. How they understood the use of salt and what salt could do. And so we're going to look at five uses they had in Jesus' day for salt. And what Jesus says we are. First thing we see is salt is used to preserve. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and you have to keep in mind, you know, there's no refrigerators. There's no freezers. And so to keep meat from spoiling decaying, people would use salt as a preservative. And as a salt of the earth, this is what it means for us. We are the instruments God is using from keeping things from decaying and going bad. It's a call for us as God's people. You are the salt. Jesus is saying you are to be an influential people in your society. The word earth there in verse 13 speaks of all of humanity. So Jesus says our identity at work. Our identity at home, students, your identity at school, in your extracurricular activities, your identity within your family isn't just to be there, but it's to have an impact on those places and people for God's glory. You are the salt. The Bible tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief there in John 10.10 10 refers to Satan. It's also referred to as the enemy of God and enemy of God's people. The thief keeps people in their sin through temptation. But we who are found in Christ now know that Jesus has given us life and he calls us to have it abundantly. So as salt, we are to preserve this world from further corruption and decay. Jesus is not allowing us to be passive. He's not allowing us to sit back and just shake our head at the world like, well, I can't believe they do it. I hope Jesus comes back soon. Jesus says that we need to interact with our society to keep it from going to further corruption and further decay. 
So to do this, we must have a conviction concerning God's Word. We must take God's Word as the salt of the earth and present it unashamedly, present it boldly, So those people who do not know the truth that we want to shake our heads at, they at least have the opportunity to hear the truth and hopefully accept the truth. In Romans, we're told, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the gospel. That's what we present as salt because there is power in the gospel. We have to have this conviction. The identity of salt and light is directly connected to the blessed life. Jesus is very intentional. He goes from the blessed life and moves to this idea of salt and light because remember the last thing he said about the blessed life? Blessed are you who are persecuted. And we want to hear that and be like, ooh. But then Jesus says you can't step back because you're salt. And you're light. You have to interact. You ever heard the phrase, it's like rubbing salt on the wound? Phrase means that it's to make a difficult situation even harder. As salt, that's what we're called to do. We are called to call out sin for what it is, which is most likely going to cause irritation and lead to persecution. But as God's people, we cannot be ashamed of the truth. Secondly, salt was used for purification. To be purifiers on the earth, we as Christians must be agents of redemption. Daniel Aiken writes that Christians are to bear faithful witness to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins, and we were given eternal life, here's what Christ did. He purified us. Jesus Christ, the Bible uses the word justified or justification It's like just as if I've never sinned. Jesus, when we came to faith in Christ, Jesus completely wiped our sin ledger clean. He made us pure. Even though we may wrestle with sin on a daily basis, and we will until we see Jesus face to face, right now is our identity in Christ. We have been completely purified by the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible commands us to live in that purity and to proclaim the purity that we have found. This is the the caption of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. In 2 Corinthians, we're told that we are ambassadors for Christ. Why? Because we know the truth. We've accepted the truth. And God says, now that you know and you've accepted, you are now to proclaim the truth. You can be pure in Christ. The Bible tells us we are to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. As salt, we cannot withdraw from the world, but must engage the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the salt. Christianity is never meant to be a social club. It's never meant to, you know, we have memberships at churches. It's not a social club here. We are members of the kingdom of God to proclaim Redemption can be found. Next thing we see is salt was used for flavor. That's the way I use salt most times. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Jesus declares that we are salt immediately after he says that we will be persecuted for living a blessed life. And this is what 2 Corinthians is capturing as well. For some people, we are going to be the flavor of life to them, and they want it. 
And for others, we're going to remind them that they are dead in their trespasses and they will hate, it, hate us for it. The aroma takes us back to the Old Testament in a sacrificial system when those sacrifices were an aroma pleasing to God. We are to be a pleasing aroma to God and to men. In light of persecution, this means that people are going to mock you. They're going to insult you. They're going to say lies about you. And in the midst of that, we're going to want to defend ourselves. But the Bible says, no, you have to be the flavor of Christ to people even when they're out to get you. They'll persecute you because you are the flavor of Christ, which they are not, which means they're dead in their sins. The thing about persecution, though, is persecution isn't persecution if what people are saying about you is true. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. So someone calls you a jerk or says that you're a hypocrite, and in fact you had been a jerk to them or you had acted hypocritically, that's not persecution. That's someone calling you out because you are not the flavor of Christ. You are not what you're saying you're presenting yourself as. So how Christ-flavored have we been out in the world? Next salt was used for healing. I want us to understand that you know, we can watch the news, but we need to start watching the news through the lens of God. We, we bash people on social media. We bash people in conversations with other people that agree with us. But we need to start watching the news and looking at the world through the lens of God. Here's what's happening. This world is hurting. And people in this world are hurting. The Bible describes the world that we live in very Eerily, thousands of years ago, 2 Timothy says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But they'll have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to truth and wander into myths. In the book of Romans, we're told that people are going to do this because although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And after God reveals this to us, why people are doing what they're doing in the midst of their hurting, then the very next thing God says to us is, but don't judge them. You are not their judge in Romans 2. And then Romans begins to unpack the origin of sin and the result of sin and the pain that sin brings into individuals' lives. And God tells us in chapter 3, verse 21, but now a righteousness of God has been manifested. This righteousness is Jesus Christ. This is the righteousness which has been gifted to us at our time of salvation. This is the righteousness which justifies us and gives us, Romans 5, 1, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This righteousness came to us while we were still weak and in our sin. And while we were still hurting and we were still living in the painful lives of sin, God says, but he showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we save by him from the wrath of God. And this is what we need to see when we look at the world. If people are not found in Christ, they're hurting because they're living in the wrath of God. 
And they may not be able to define it, but they also know they can't seem to fix it. There's nothing that wants, that can fill that hole or that void in their life because they need God. And so they hurt and they act out sinfully and their heart and soul is broken. In Romans, God brings us to this healing agent in Romans chapter 10. The healing agent to hurting is a belief in Jesus Christ and a confession of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we who have accepted this as truth here this morning, we're now commissioned to deliver this message that we have accepted. Here's the thing, we have the antidote. We have the antidote to what people need and what's causing pain in people's life. We know what can fix it. We know where the truth is. And God goes on in Romans. He says, How then will they call on him whom they have, never, have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that doesn't mean on Sunday morning. That means proclaiming and presenting the gospel. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You are the salt. And God sends you out to preach and present the good news of the gospel to a world that is hurting. I'm just like you. I want to shake my head. I want to turn off the TV. I, I barely drive with the radio on anymore. I want to, pfft, oh, idiots. I want to cast judgment because that's my sinful nature. That's my natural response to things I don't agree with. I want to say, Jesus, why don't you come back now? Let's just be done with this. But he hasn't. We're still here. And what God is revealing to me is this revelation. Anybody else do that? Cast judgment? We don't want to confess to that. The revelation, when we see something that's not right, something that does not agree with God's word, when we see that, we see a world that is hurting, and we are to be the salt to bring healing. And the only way this world can be healed is through Jesus Christ. When they submit to who God is and his authority. Last thing salt was used for in Jesus' days, it created thirst. So when I was a little kid, I used to watch a, a really, I won't say really old show because some of y'all, this was your show when you were little. Um, I, I watched a show that was older than me called The Little Rascals. Y'all remember Little Rascals? And I'm talking black and white Little Rascals, not the color, not the movies. And so when I was thinking about how salt creates thirst and we're we're to be salt, so we're to create thirst. A show on the Little Rascals came to mind. The show is called Waldo's Last Stand. And you can YouTube it if you want to go watch it. It's about 14 minutes. Um, but in the show, what happened is the gang was putting on a show for the neighborhood. And so they wanted to make money, and they had some lemonade. And they decided they're going to sell a cup of lemonade for two cents, and by the end of the day, they're going to be rich. So that just kind of shows you the dating of the show. So they come up with this plan. They've got all these acts in the show. They've got lemonade ready. And one kid shows up to the show. And he sits there and he's watching. And they keep coming like waiter comes by after waiter after waiter. And like, do we want some lemonade? It's only two cents. It's really good. If you're thirsty, you should buy some lemonade. And he's like, nah, because he's got this really low voice. Anyway, you can watch it later. <laughs> so they decide that in order to sell lemonade so they can get rich, they have these saltine crackers. They're salty. 
and they put them on a plate and then they dump more salt on top of it and they take it out to the one kid who's at the show and says, here, have some free crackers and if you need something to drink, just let us know. We've got lemonade for two cents a cup. And so the kid starts eating the crackers and they're all just watching intently, waiting to pounce to sell him some lemonade because they know all the salt on it is bound to make him thirsty. Well, the one kid there is so upset that the, salt, the crackers are so salty, he leaves. And that's when the gang realizes the reason no one came to their show is because all the kids are in the show except for that one kid that was there. But he got so thirsty, he didn't want to buy lemonade, so he left. And how this applies, there's a point, not for you to go watch Little Rascals, but not everyone that we know, not everyone in our sphere of influence or realm of influence knows Jesus Christ. Okay? So we therefore have to be the salt, and what we do in being the salt, we have to make them thirst for Jesus. By the way we live our life, by the way we talk and treat people and react to things, they have to look, this is the Bible says, they have to look and see our good deeds, see the way we're living our life, and say, I want what you have, because we've created a thirst for Christ in their life, and then we present it. You notice back in verse 13, after Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, he delivers a very stern warning. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Similar statement is made in Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Luke has this recorded just a little bit differently in Luke chapter 14. It says, salt is good. This is Luke 14. Salt is good. And all God's people said, well, some of God's people said, uh, salt is good. Amen. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And here's the change. It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Now, to paraphrase what Jesus is saying here in Matthew and in Luke and in Mark, what Jesus says is, if we are not being the salt, which we are identified as salt, then we are useless and worthless. Thanks, Jesus. This has nothing to do with salvation, okay? It has nothing to do with losing someone's salvation. Rather, it is calling us to stand firm in what we hold as truth and to remain pure. In 1 Timothy, God tells us to not take part in the sins of others and keep yourselves pure. In the book of James, we're told to keep ourselves unstained from the world. In Romans chapter 12, we're told not to be conformed to this world. If salt becomes useless, then it's only salt by name and not nature. And what does that mean for us? If we call ourselves Christians, but look nothing like Christ then we're nominal Christians. We're Christians by name only. We're useless and worthless for the kingdom. To proclaim you are saved but look nothing like your Savior is to lose your saltiness. To be salt and remain salt means we cannot lower God's standards based upon our culture and society. I understand there are people that God has brought into your life that probably don't agree with you, because you're a Christian. They probably don't agree with the things that you don't do because God tells you not to do. They probably don't agree with what you define as sin. 
And I know there's those people in our life who don't agree with our, our faith and our beliefs and our conviction that we dearly love, and we don't want to hurt them. But going back to what I just said, they're already hurting. So we cannot lower God's standards to justify their sin. We have been justified in Christ, but we are not justified to justify sin. If we keep up with the news and churches, you're going to find that churches are beginning to lower their standards, to lower God's standards. There are Christian traditions out there that are lowering God's standards to appease this world, to attract the world in. And we are to attract people living in this world, living in sin, but not to lower God's standards to their level. Instead, we are to call to bring them up to God's level. But there are many Christian traditions which have ordained homosexual and transgender pastors and priests. The Church of England has permitted openly gay and transgender priests since 2000. In 2012, Presbyterian Church ordained its first openly lesbian clergy. Now hear me, we're called to love all people. But this does not mean we're permitted to lower God's standards and what he defines as sin. We accept all people have been made in the image and likeness of God. And all people are loved by God. And God wants all people to come to knowledge of truth and in salvation. That is God's will. Even the people we disagree with. But when we lower God's standards in his word to appease the world, we lose our saltiness. We look no different than them. The Bible says that if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. We who are born again are free in Christ, but being free in Christ does not permit us to live or accept sin. To be free in Christ is to live for Christ because we are free from sin and we are now slaves and instruments of righteousness. The only way salt could lose its flavor in Jesus' day and our own is if it becomes corrupted and contaminated by an outside agent. So applying this to our life in the church, the only way we can lose our saltiness the only way we lose our flavor, our persevering power, our purity, our healing impact on the world is if we allow ourselves to become more like the world than the Word. We are people of the Word because God has saved us. William Barclay says, if a Christian is not fulfilling his purpose as a Christian, then he is on the way to disaster. We're meant to be the salt of the earth, and if we do not bring life, the purity, the antiseptic power, the radiance that we ought then we invite disaster. The late preacher Jonathan Edwards once preached, it is your very nature to season whatever is round about you. Finally, how is salt viewed? We'll wrap up here. How is salt viewed in Jesus' day? Salt was viewed as precious. You are the salt. Jesus says, you're precious. God defines you as precious. Don't let anybody else tell you different. You are precious. In the ancient world, salt was highly valued. The Greeks called salt divine. The Romans said there's nothing more useful than sun and salt. So we have to keep in mind, you know, they didn't just go to the grocery store and buy a little container of salt. It was a process. And in this region, you know, they would get salt from the Dead Sea, and it took time. It was a process. So it became a precious commodity. Son of God, God in the flesh, looks at us and says, you are a precious commodity to me.
You're salt. You're the salt of the earth. You are precious to God who rules the earth. And God knows and reveals in his word when we take our stand with God and his word, when we leave, live in conviction of God's word, we're going to find persecution. People are going to say things about you. They're going to lie about you. They're going to insult you and mock you. Jesus said it right there in Scripture. And right after Jesus says that, God, he, he says, you're precious to me, though. So don't let persecution trick you to think you're not. You're my precious child. I think we forget that sometimes because, you know, God's God. He's up there in the heavens. He's controlling all things. He's all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he's everywhere at all times. But he's also our Father. If you are found in Christ, God looks at you as his child. He has adopted you and claimed you as his own. And the Bible says that nothing, nothing in this world, nothing in the spiritual domain can ever separate you from God's love. You are precious to him. You're so precious he sent his son to die for you, to rise again from the dead that you might be forgiven. You are a precious commodity to God. You are salt. Brothers and sisters of Christ, are we being salt? You are the salt of the earth. Are we being salt to the people in our lives? Are we persevering and preserving the things of God? Are we purifying by speaking God's word? Are we flavoring so people are like, oh man, whatever you got, that tastes so good. Are we, are we healing and are we creating a thirst for Christ in this earth. If not, because this is how Jesus defines you are the salt. If we're not doing that, we need to repent. We need to come before God. He already knows it, and we need to repent. Maybe pray for God. Help me have the power and the conviction to be salt, even when it's hard. Final question this morning is, are you one of God's children? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted that God sent Jesus to die for your sins? And he did on a cross. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later that you could be forgiven for all your sins and be given the gift of eternal life. Have you made that your confession of faith? If you're not sure or you know for a fact you haven't, then I want to present the gospel, the good news. God has created you for a relationship with him. That's why you're here. That's your whole purpose is to be in a relationship with God. Your sin is what's separating you from that. Your sin is keeping you from that relationship. And you may think, well, I'll just go to church enough times. I'll start reading my Bible. I'll start putting money in the baskets. I'll start singing louder during songs. Well, the problem is, is we can't fix our sin problem. That's why we're hurting we know something's wrong, and we can't fix it. And God knows that. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to pay the price in full, that you might be forgiven and be given eternal life and become a child of God. 
Bible says everyone who believes this in the heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior will be saved and will be given eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning and that's something you need to do. It's not something your parents can do for you, your aunt, uncle, or your guardian. It's a personal confession of faith. I'm going to be standing down here. If you know that's something you do, I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Michael, I want to be saved. We'll pray together. We'll rejoice together. Maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father and say, Lord, help me to be the salt I need to be. Bridget and Nick are on their way up. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to sing together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for identifying us. That we don't have to try to figure out what our identity is. Lord, we are the salt. Help us to be the salt we need to be. This world is hurting. You can tell by the way people are just so angry. Lord, let us go into this earth and be the salt. Forgive us when we haven't been. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that your spirit is speaking to their heart, that they need to be forgiven for their sins, they need to find salvation in you and be given eternal life, Lord, I pray that they would have the courage to walk down and let it be known today, that they would confess you publicly as their Lord and Savior in their need for you. Forgive me if I got in your way in any way. Lord, we pray this time that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers. And your kingdom would continue to be done in this time. Praise all in the name of Jesus.